0: That's right, when you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels, Los Angeles, and from uh, Big Apple in New York City, welcome to all my caregivers out there in radio land. I'm Dave, the caregiver's caregiver, and we're coming to you live along with my beautiful co-host, Adrian Gruberg of (laughs) CaregiverSpace.org. and we're coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio, podcast networks, and 26 global audio and video platforms including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, BlogTalk Radio, CastBox, MixCloud, and about 20 more. And we are proud to be voted number two caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and number two, I'm sorry, that should have said number one caregiver podcast of the (laughs) top 50 on Player FM and number two on caregiver podcast on Feedspot out of the top 60 and number two caregiver podcast on CaringVillage.com. Got to get that right. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. Dr. Randall Bell, author of Post-Traumatic Thriving, the Art, Science, and Stories of Resilience, is with us today. So uh, just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews, including the one we're doing now, on caregiverdave.com and all the other platforms I mentioned above. And make sure you can go to our caregiver Dave.com website. Let me say that again. Make sure you go to caregiverdave.com. It's our free membership website. It's full of tons of resources and free gifts. Just sign up with your email, and we promise not to spam you. We just want to help you get connected with other caregivers who have been through what you are going through. So, uh, welcome to the show, Doctor. Uh, we're so excited well, to have Dave you and, and,
1: and, Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: And we always like to ask our uh, first-time guest just, who is Dr. Randall Bell, and why was he placed on this earth?
1: <laughs> well, that's the big question, yeah. <laughs> um, I was born in a little obscure town called Fullerton, California. But if you're in, into music, Leo Fender lived about two streets away. And that's our town's claim to fame. And I uh, grew up in Southern California. Long story short, I became an economist and um, that led me to a number of disasters, and that led me to this book. And my purpose on Earth is to uh, keep being a, gr- a great dad to my uh, four wonderful children and to uh, spread the word on healing from trauma.
0: Wow. And did you have any personal trauma in your life to be healed from, or you just read it all in a book? <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, Dave, that's such an interesting question because I started in on this book, Post Traumatic Thriving, about ten years ago, and I didn't realize I had a trauma that I hadn't healed from when I started writing it. And I had—I uh, was born with a congenital heart defect. I had open heart surgery with, with uh, when I was 11, and I made the classic mistake of burying the burying the memory, forgetting about it, never speaking about it, which is exactly the wrong thing to do. So, turns out I was writing the book for myself. <laughs>
0: Well, <laughs> that's that's sometimes the best way to write a book. So um, now you talk about three choices when we face trauma. Let's get right into it. Why don't you go through that?
1: Yeah. Well, well, when a trauma hits, ultimately we have three choices. One is to dive and be stuck in that trauma and be stuck as a victim and be stuck as you know in in the depression of that trauma. That's that's the first. I don't say that to be judgmental. That's just a choice we can make. Choice number two is to go from dive to survive. That's where we get back on our feet, and we kind of reclaim the life we had. And that's, that's admirable. Uh, and, but this, the focus of my study and my research has been those who not just you know, got out of dive and survived, but thrived. And it's, it's as if the trauma woke them up. And, and in this awoken, awakened state, they, uh, they did something phenomenal.
0: Wow, well I choose the latter <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and you're also talking about five stages of the grief factor because I always I talk a lot about the, the grief process you know anytime we suffer loss we go through grief your girlfriend could dump you you go through grief doctor says you have cancer the lawyer says uh, bankruptcy is the only way out so tell me your uh, way of uh, looking at grief and the five stages that uh, go into it
1: Well, the first chapter is on shock, which is, uh, it kind of precedes the grief process, the five, you know, stages of grief you referred to. But then I, the, the next chapters in terms of denial and bargaining and anger and depression and so forth, those mirror the five stages of grief. So, you know, but, but the last five chapters uh, at the end of the book, you know, go through the, the literature on post-traumatic growth, which is a scientific, you know, set of academia. What I do is I, I stick with the standard accepted science, but I bridge it uh, and, and create a bridge from the five stages of grief to the five stages of growth or thriving. And uh, uh-huh. that way we have a complete picture of what this, you know, roadmap really looks like
0: just out of curiosity, you know, our audience is burned out caregivers. What has your experience been in uh, caregiving? Uh, Were you a caregiver? Do you you know caregivers? I mean, what's the extent of your experience?
1: Yeah, I I, I can't claim that I have, although that issue is close to me and my family. My mom is uh, 99 years old. She's in the same home that I grew up with in, in Fullerton, California. And my sister, uh, is is a caregiver I try and visit at least once a week but uh, as far as what my my sister goes through my mom is uh, elderly but, uh, and she's very forgetful but she thankfully is very happy she's laughs at my jokes uh, she <laughs> usually remembers my name so she's in a good place she she has a quality of life but um, but still it's a lot of stress for my sister even with those advantages so I I'm a little familiar yeah. with that issue yeah
0: so what made you write this book and what are your goals that you have for it what do you hope to accomplish with this book?
1: Yeah well my career Dave is is unique because I've been studying disasters for decades since 1986 so I've worked on hundreds of these cases things like the World Trade Center and the flight 93 crash site and Hurricane Katrina and I worked on the OJ Simpson case and John Bonnet Ramsey and really? you name a disaster. <laughs> answers are pretty good. I was retained in those cases as an economist. And I started finding that talking to the people behind the statistics were more interesting than calculating the numbers. And I I still calculate the numbers and I enjoy that, but I enjoy getting to know these people. And I noticed that some people, when they're hit with a disaster, they go through these three stages, dive, survive, or thrive. And I really kind of, you know, was, was, Passionately interested in what? What? Why was this? And what were the thrivers doing that the divers and survivors weren't? So for ten years, I've been collecting their stories. A lot of these people, all the people in the book, are my friends. I interweave their stories, but also setting the academic science behind thriving and interweaving a roadmap that was both scientifically sound but also captured the human element by bringing the the principles to life through actual people that uh, you know where we were given permission to follow their story. And my goal with the book is to help people um, heal from trauma, because that's the number one thing. It's not drugs or alcohol or workaholism. The, The underlying problem, number one in the world, I'm convinced, is unresolved trauma. So if we can really directly address that, we'll make the world a better place. And that's my goal. What kind of a doctor are you? (laughs) <laughs> well, my mom <laughs> says I'm not the kind that helps people <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, Thanks, mom. I'm a sociologist, basically <laughs> A sociologist, okay Yeah
0: Well, I, I see the connection, right? Um, how does a sociologist, sociologist, excuse me, um, get to writing a book about grief? Um, you've seen a lot of grief in your clients, I assume, right? Do you have a practice?
1: Oh, every day.
0: Yeah. Um, what percentage of your clients are going through some sort of grief or shock or trauma?
1: Well, virtually all of them. That's a normal yes. process, isn't it? I mean, um, I'm right now. I'm working in, on several cases, probably 15 cases around the world. But for example, one of them is Hurricane Harvey, and you know the news cycle covered Hurricane Harvey months and months ago, maybe even years ago. But, I can tell you there's still people that have drywall rotting in their houses, I'm sure. or have, have not gotten the insurance money to fix their kitchen cabinets. Uh, they're still living uh, through the shock of that of that flood. And so a lot of the media pops in and out on these things, and then you change the channel and you think the problem's solved. But a lot of people are left with this grief process for years, and so I'm involved with them. Uh, long term. There's there may be a lot of Dr. Randall Bells, but there's only one master of disaster, Dave, and that's me. So, so, so you know, usually people, uh, you know, have a pretty easy time finding me.
0: And you have a very good sense of humor as well. And I think every doctor should have a good bedside manner and a, and a sense of humor. So, are you are still in practice now? You still see patients?
1: Well, I, I don't do trauma coaching. Patience. I think that's a misconception. I wrote I wrote the book, and I love the discussion. But anybody that would come to me, I would refer them to a, a certified trauma coach, or preferably a licensed therapist. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a serious business, and you know it's also kind of um, what's the right word? It's kind of a ticklish thing because the wrong trigger can send somebody down the wrong path. So, mm-hmm. well, I've studied this very, very carefully. I'm the first to say, you know, I can. I've been certified to go through the trauma recovery process in prison and in jails and and homeless shelters and that kind of thing. But for one-on-one counseling, I'm not the right person. I always refer someone to someone that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that makes sense.
0: Caregivers, our audience, burned-out caregivers, um, may or may not have had trauma. Um, certainly, the ones they're caring for may or may not have had trauma. Uh, you've come up with some tips that you offer people who are dealing with trauma. Do you also have tips for people who are dealing with stress, or is it the same thing?
1: Well, they're 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 similar and they're also distinctly different. But I the 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 protocol for relieving stress, whether as a caregiver or somebody in trauma recovery, are essentially the same because. As I presume you know, the, the human brain, There's we actually have three brains. The outer brain is the human brain, uh, which we presumably are using right now. The midbrain is emotional. That's the mammal brain. The inner brain is the reptilian brain. That's where our instincts come from. So whether it be stress or trauma, what happens when we're stressed or traumatized? The outer human brain turns off, and the inner instinct brain turns on, and that's where our brain chemistry can be altered through the process of stress or grief. The first thing I say in the book is if you're in a traumatic situation, get to a safe place then read the book. but the as far as the tips and the protocols to get better, uh, there's two I introduced right in the shock chapter chapter number one to help get people on that track to healing. number one it, we call grounding that's deep breathing exercises. Um, It may sound simple, and because it's simple, a lot of people, you know, dismiss it. But there's over 20 studies out of Harvard Medical School that say that deep breathing exercises rewires the brain. Literally, they've done brain scans from the reptilian brain where the the trauma is kind of trapped into the mid and outer brain where we can heal. So deep breathing exercises, so if you're a caregiver, Try just you know stepping away and taking six or 10 deep breaths with your eyes closed. That literally will help rewire the brain and switch from our sympathetic to parasympathetic nervous system, which is basically saying switching from stress to calm. And the second one, Dave, is uh, tell your story. We call that sitting in the fire in the prison because you know, trauma and stress are ugly things, and we see we see ugly things in the caregiving um, profession. Um, we got to tell our story, whether that's to a therapist, a coach, a close friend, journaling. You can't internalize the stress and expect to heal or process it. Uh, trauma or stress is not a solo activity. you got to find someone to share it with. Great advice.
0: Hey, listen, we're coming up on a break, so we're going to take a short break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. We are a community of caregivers that understands and supports you wherever you are in your journey. We are a place to connect with other caregivers, but more importantly, a place to get practical, actionable help. There are lots of ways for you to get support. First of all, you can download our Welcome Pack. This will get you started on your Thrive journey. Next, you can ask and get answers to your questions by posting them here in our private Facebook groups you can also get live online support by attending one of our live weekly connect webinars you can get practical actionable advice by listening to our weekly podcast you can hear and read other stories about other caregivers experiences plus add your own in our weekly share your story forum posted every Tuesday in the Facebook group you can access essential resources and download practical Thrive Solutions Packs, all of which are geared to help you thrive as a caregiver and get lifetime access to all of our resources. Again, we're here to support you and help you thrive and to enjoy your life as a caregiver. And remember, this is a place to get hope, not just cope. And we're back with Our our guest, Dr. Randall Bell and my lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg. We're talking about trauma and stress and grief and all those things. And uh, Dr. Bell is a, an author. Is this your first book or your only book or many books?
1: I've read uh, or, me, I've read lots of books, but <laughs> no, I've written about uh, four or five, I guess. Four or five. And
0: uh, what are the titles? Let's see if there's some correlation between them.
1: <laughs> David, it's a weird mix. I wrote a textbook. This 500 pages uh, for economists. It's titled "Real Estate Damages." I don't recommend it. It's it will put you to sleep. But for for geeks like me that get into this, it's uh, exciting. Um, I wrote a book called Leo Fender. I wrote it with uh, I co-wrote it with uh, Mrs. Leo Fender about the invention of the electric guitar, um, and uh, that was. <laughs> A very fun book to write and uh, still is a fun book to talk about. I wrote a book called Me, We, Do, Be, and uh, I was on the Today Show with it. It it did pretty well. Um, It's basically the four cornerstones of success. Uh, Me is our mindset. We is our relationships. Do is what we're doing and be is what we're becoming. It's a little formula for kind of having a strategic plan for our lives. And then, of course, post-traumatic thriving, what we're talking about, um, and I think there's a couple others in there, but those are the main ones that uh, that get talked about more often.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm reading your bio right here, and I mean you are all over the place. <laughs> how do you <laughs> how do you decide? Uh, apparently, you're very talented in everything you do. But how do you decide <laughs> where your passion is? Unless it's in all these places, and um, is your passion today necessarily necessarily going to be your passion tomorrow?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question, Dave. Yeah, I do what I'm passionate about, and I'm, I have an eclectic mix of interests. I'm very <laughs> interested in uh, Leo Fender. I have a lar- very large uh, guitar and Leo Fender collection that I hope to get into museums soon. Uh, to be even more uh, revealing about my weird eclectic, uh, eclectic passions, I have a very large Houdini collection That likewise, I'm going to get into museums I like writing, I love traveling I love exploring uh, And whatever kind of comes to me If I get passionate, watch out Because I'm going to write a book about it Or I'm going to collect everything on the planet about it Because I I, I guess I just have a lot of energy (laughs) You must have been a very
0: confused teenager When somebody comes up and says Well, Randall, what are you going
1: to be when you grow up? What did you tell <laughs> Yeah. I, 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 I wanted to be, uh, it changed all over the place. I wanted, to be a med- I wanted to be a medical doctor, but then one day I realized I didn't know the difference between an <laughs> atom and a molecule. So that went out the window. I, I do very poorly in, in biology. But I do very well in math. And it turns out that um, I do pretty well with just kind of research-based things, like, like this book. I, I didn't know a lot about trauma. But I hit the books for 10 solid years. I have you know, uh, the, the PhD level of research capability. So I dug in, and, and I learned about it. And as a result, I healed from my childhood trauma of a congenital heart defect. And with that, I feel like I can maybe help people do the same thing. And with caregivers, it's not just the stress that they're going through. If they can utilize these principles to help the people they're caring for to process their trauma, um, we're going to have a better, you know, we're going to be better off all the way around.
0: So you're using your experience in trauma to inform your audience, whoever is reading your book. Who does read your book, by the way? You know, when you write a book, as you know, they, they say, well, who's your audience? And, and the, more, the narrower you get, right, that's what they want. Say, oh, well, it's for everybody. No, 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 no. Who is your book for?
1: Yeah, well, uh, the book is... Doing pretty great because a lot of medical doctors are reading it. I've been it's been profiled in medical journals. Okay. Wow. But the, the, I hate to I hate to answer that question the wrong way. But the truth is, <laughs> by college age, sixty six to eighty five percent of of the world population has had a trauma, um, and they didn't ever go to school to figure out how to process it. There was never an owner's manual for trauma, <laughs> and so and that's what this is it's an owner's manual for trauma if you've had a trauma yeah. and chances are you have and i know i have um, going through these processes knowing that there's such great science on healing there's no reason to you know just kind of suffer through life with our unresolved trauma there are solutions so for so, anybody that wants to you know kind of deal with this stuff in a healthy way uh, it is a broad audience, and I'm sorry I'm breaking the rules. It's it's, yeah. it's, it's It applies everywhere.
0: Well, rules are meant to be broken, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, people tell me, well, who's your book for uh, caregivers? And I says, well, not really, because everybody is eventually going to become a caregiver or need a caregiver. There's no escaping it. So, yeah, my book's for everybody, so I'm breaking the rules, too. But I was always told, you. Uh, you know, and, and the hospitals called trauma centers, you know, that's where something bad happens, you're in an accident or whatever. Trauma is like uh, something that uh, two objects hitting each other. But you talk about being born with a congenital heart issue. Is that really a trauma
1: in the classical definition of trauma? Well, not not necessarily, because some people may be born with a condition I had and um, think nothing of it, and it didn't traumatize them. And uh, that's not to say it's not traumatizing, because what's important is it was traumatizing to me. Yeah. Long story mm-hmm. short, uh, my cardiologist, as an adult, I was standing on the treadmill. She hadn't even plugged it in yet. She, when she did, I was just standing there doing nothing, and uh, my heart rate was 150. Well, that's post-traumatic stress disorder in action and uh, she immediately knew what it was i knew what it was i knew the science but i didn't realize i was suffering from that because i was doing the classic thing of burying those emotions you know my cardiologist today is is a woman very capable and my cardiologist as a child was a woman and so in my mind that's what triggered me to have this this negative response so for me yeah it was a trauma but that's not to say that someone's trauma is valid or invalid, it's it's valid if it affects you. And we're really not in a competition. Whoever has a trauma and, has, and they're having a hard time, that's trauma.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for explaining that definition and broadening it. Because yeah, I didn't uh, realize that trauma isn't the act or it isn't a verb. It's it's the fact that whatever it is, it could be traumatizing you. And so right. that, that widened the definition uh, a, a great deal. So um, let's talk about COVID nineteen. How has that thrown a monkey wrench in all of this?
1: Well, you know the statistics I shared earlier eighty eighty six to or sixty six to eighty five percent of the population have a trauma. With COVID, it may be closer to a hundred percent. I personally got uh, COVID, a very bad case of it. I I was out down and out for about three months. Um, so it traumatized me. Um, coming out of it, I don't know that I'm traumatized about it, but for someone else, like I just explained, it could be, you know, something they really have to work through. Um, but yeah, the whole world's been somewhat traumatized by this whole thing. So doctor,
0: how's the book going? You said you've got a lot of sales from the medical profession and other people as well.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I, first of all, I didn't write this book so, from a monetary point of view, the book I, we put on Kindle for 99 cents. You know, the idea is nice. to get the information out. Yeah. But um, yeah, the, the the response has been great. COVID really threw a wrench in it with our editing and pro, you know our editing process. We're about to finally come out with our uh, fully cleaned up and edited um, hardback. Uh, that will be coming out in a month or two, uh, and then we'll do a we'll do. A, you know, an audio version of the book. Normally we have all that packaged right up front, but uh-huh. with COVID being the weird thing it was, we're just doing the best we can. But yeah, the, the media interviews and the, um, the response, particularly from the medical and psychology professions who really know what they're talking about uh, and are really into this, that response has been great. You know, frankly, as a non-psychologist, as a non-medical doctor, you know, you, you hope that uh, you meet that threshold. And it, it, sure. apparently it has, because it's the responses have been terrific. So you've got a website. Uh, what type of things do you put on your
0: website, since you've got so many potential things to put on it?
1: Well, we put a lot of the TV and uh, uh, radio, the podcast, like, like this, if That's you are allowed, we'll put this on the website. And that way people can kind of, you know, follow the discussions yeah. that we're having. We have plans to add things to the website, um, and uh, you know, maybe I'll do a podcast myself. I don't know that uh, I don't know that I'm smart enough to do it, but we'll see. Um, but, you know what?
0: If, if I can do it, anybody can
1: do it. <laughs> I don't know, but we'll see. We'll give it a shot. But call uh, me up; I'll help you out. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just trying to put lots of free resources because this Get is real. stuff that affects us, and we got to do a better job of dealing with it. Um, than what we what we have stor- historically been doing. And what is
0: your website's name?
1: Uh, okay. DrBell.com. And you can either spell out doctor or DR, abbreviate it. Doesn't matter. We got it all Great covered. Idea. Just put in DrBell.com, and you'll find me.
0: And why do they call you the master of disaster?
1: Well, the story on the master of disasters thing, I, I did uh, some case. I forget what it was. It might have been OJ, or it might have been uh, Heaven's Gate. I don't know. but I think it was Heaven's Gate the cult you know down in San Diego and the LA Times did an article on my career and they started off with this line of calling me the master of disaster and at first I didn't like it I was kind of like you know I've worked too hard to have that you know cartoon <laughs> title and then I thought you know what I'm too uptight about it I'm going to go with it and now when I speak to High school kids or college kids, you know, we hand out massive disaster t-shirts and hats and baseball caps. And, you know, we have fun because it brings, it, you know, it, it makes this topic more accessible, um, you know, with it. So I go with it. I'm just curious. What what exactly did you do in the, in the
0: OJ case?
1: Oh, I worked with Lou Brown, uh, uh, Nicole's father. And, um, and the, in that capacity, I met the whole family. In fact, we're still friends to this day. And um, the the thing about a disaster is that there's two sides. There's the the emotional side, and everybody saw that on TV. But with any disaster, there's all prat- also practical issues. What do we do with the property? What do we do with managing the the looky loos, managing the media, all, all that kind of uh, stuff. So I was working with Lou Brown primarily on how to handle the condominium where the murder occurred, and um, you know we came up with a strategy to rent it out. Um, and then eventually we were able to get it sold. But that was, that was um, let's just say it was a complicated issue, but we sorted through it and navigated that practical issue together.
0: Um, I'm assuming people didn't want to rent it, no, because of what happened there?
1: Actually, renting it is relatively easy. It's trying to get a buyer uh, and, and get it sold is more difficult um, so we we got it rented. It was actually the broker who had the listing. She rented it, and that kept the cash flow going so they could pay the bills yeah. until they eventually got it sold. Well, um, how are they
0: doing today, family?
1: Well, uh, Mr. It's Brown, it's not something away. that you
0: easily get over, is it?
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's not. And that's not the point of trauma. We don't get over it. We get through it, and. The Brown family, Mr. and Mrs. Brown, have sadly passed away. Terrific, really wonderful people um, who handled that trauma with nothing in my mind but class and dignity. Um, Denise is uh, doing well. Tanya is doing well. Dominique is doing well. The three daughters, and uh, you know, it's not like I say, it's not something you'll ever forget. But they have handled it um, with with a lot of class, a lot of dignity.
0: And uh, do they still see their
1: father? The children of uh, oh, Nicole. you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't really ask. Um, you know, uh, if the kids, uh, OJ's kids, see him. I think they do, but I, I, honestly don't know.
0: So tell us again. What's the difference between thriving, surviving, and yeah, diving? Dive, okay, survive,
1: yeah. or thrive? Well, <laughs> the the idea. To go from dive to survive to thrive is to allow that memory of that traumatic experience. It's not to forget it. Uh, forget forgetting it. <laughs> um, the idea is to have that memory go through our minds without being re-triggered, without that flash emotion of adrenaline pumping through our brains. And you get that, that fight, flight, or freeze, you know, uh, a seized up adrenaline feeling. The idea is yeah. to allow the memory go to, through our minds without that trigger triggering response. So using myself as a bad example, uh, I <laughs> buried my trauma. Anytime anything was said about heart surgery or my situation, I got really like tense. I got that char- emotionally charged feeling. Now I talk about it, and it's a non-issue. Uh, it's a memory, but it, I don't get re-traumatized by it. And that's the goal. Do you
0: need
1: Listen, to? Ahead. Do you need to dive in before you get to survive and thrive? Yeah, Adrian, I'm so glad you asked that, because a lot of people want, in the book, Post-Traumatic Thriving, they want to jump ahead to the last chapters where we talk about all the fun stuff of thriving, and what they're doing, and they're making a mistake, and I warn them right up front, don't do that. Because to get there authentically, you really kind of have to work through each stage um, in su- succession, succession to get there. That's how you authentically, truly thrive. If you shortcut the issue or cheat and jump ahead, you're not going to have typically the same really solid life-altering change that we're really going for. And that's, that's what I imagined, having having had issues myself. <laughs> you have to face up to it. <laughs> Yeah, you got you to gotta work through it. It's, yeah. yeah, it's tough, but we got to do it. We're going to take our last break. We'll
0: be right back. Don't go away. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through, because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first, before you help your child with their mask, they know that those who don't heed their advice often black out thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's My Life Too. Thrive and Stay Alive as a Caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver. On sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. And we're back with our guest, Dr. Randall Bell and my co-host Adrian Gruberg. We're talking about trauma. And I wanted to ask you um, about surviving. Um, A lot of people are just surviving caregiving. They're just surviving life. They're surviving their job. Is that a place... uh, Is that a good thing or is that not a good thing? I mean, in a way you could say, well, at least they're surviving. You know, they're they're, they're here, baby steps, one day at a time. You know, there's a bumper sticker that says, one day at a time. But... uh, I always think that you should surviving isn't good enough. You know, life is too short to just survive, to just tolerate life. What's your opinion on that?
1: Well, Dave, that's a wonderful question. I kind of take away the idea of good or bad. Like, you know, anger. Anger. The approach I take, which is related to your question, it's not good or bad. It, it, it's it's in fact it's it's just a healthy reaction to a horrible situation. So I would say if somebody's angry, that's wonderful. That's a normal process. That's part of the healing process. So if you're angry, be angry. Just don't hurt yourself and don't hurt another person. But it's okay for a period of time to be angry. And even when you get to the thrival stage, in my book I use this word rinse and repeat over and over again because you may be in the glorious abundant life of thriving but some days you might revisit anger it might come back and that's normal too um so i try and take away the good or bad labels we put on things and say this is normal and it's healthy the thing is dave we just don't want to get stuck there because there is a thing called anger addiction and you know we like i said we don't want to get stuck so getting to your question about survival that's part of the process there's a part you don't just jump from you know trauma to you know glorious thriving there's a process and survival is an important essential part of that so if people are feeling like right now i'm just kind of getting by it is day to day i say hey that's that's awesome that's normal but don't don't do that year after year after year if you're doing that we got to talk about some approaches to to break out of that and kind of move forward. So it's kind of context and and taking away the labels and not getting you know but beating ourselves up over a normal process, but you know at a comfortable rate moving forward and progressing.
0: I've gotten to the end of my questions, but I'm, I'm wondering if there are things that you would like to talk about uh, that you haven't had an opportunity yet. So just this is your
1: chance. Well, I'd like to maybe introduce the audience to a couple of the people behind the statistics in the book. One, is, her name is Jerry Jewell. Uh, you may know who Jerry is. Jerry starred on the TV show Facts of Life. Jerry was disabled with cerebral palsy as a child, and I happened to go to high school. Troy High School in Fullerton is uh, where I went to high school with Jerry and her sister Gloria, and uh, you know uh, a lot of other wonderful people. And you know jerry was born with her trauma and she, you know and there was a lot of decisions made with the family do we just buy jerry an easy chair and get her a nice tv and and you know lots of you know popcorn and potato chips and that's how she'll live her life and they took the position no jerry's got capability she has intelligence and she's going to use whatever she's got and that's what she did, and she started doing stand-up comedy. Which I don't know about you, Dave. That's a st- that's a tough gig, you know. To, I did a a
0: four, I did four minutes, and it wasn't easy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Jerry did that. She got the uh, starring role on national TV. She's spoken at the White House three times, uh, uh, twice with uh, President Reagan, once with Barack Obama, and she just filmed uh, the Deadwood movie on HBO. Um, Jared, I just had an Easter dinner with her, and my wife and I just saw her, I think, last weekend. She's just a wonderful person, and she, she's like the, the poster child, I should probably, <laughs> she probably doesn't like that term, for post-traumatic thriving. Um, and so these principles we've been talking about really work. And I've seen them you know, from high school to today, um, how Jerry has has used those principles. In fact, I interviewed her. The book is packed full of wisdom. It's not me, it's talking to people like Jerry and, and uh, many others who have done remarkable things and getting the wisdom and then putting it into the book. And um, that makes this stuff all kind of come alive.
0: I'm trying to place her in the show, The Facts of Life, what character did she play?
1: She plays Cousin Jerry. She has uh, I mean, she has cerebral palsy, so she, she's disabled. Um, go Google or you'll instantly hey. remember. Well, the same story with Leo Fender. Leo Fender was born a young man in Fullerton. He had his eye uh, taken out by a picket fence. And then uh. later, he was deaf because uh, speaker cabinets blew up while he had his head in there. So he is deaf and half blind. He invented the electric guitar, changed the world of music, um and today fender is a billion dollar company um but leo fender lived in a mobile home he moved in our neighborhood when his family (laughs) expanded a little bit but you know again there are principles that people do and we've talked about them leo fender meditated in a very hot bath every morning um so that stuff really works you got to tell your story leo told his story to his wife who shared it with me and we wrote a book about it um these principles really work to break out of just that that dive or survival mode and really kind of wake up and tap into that energy. Because the thing is, Dave, trauma creates a lot of energy. And it can be bad energy and it can be destructive energy or it can be really exciting, positive energy. If we tap into it, we can do stuff like Leo Fender. We can do, do stuff like Jerry Jewell. These are regular people. I grew up with them. They were in my neighborhood. The stuff really works.
0: Yeah, and I think of um, Helen Keller, Many, many people, all you got to do is Google famous people who have were born with disabilities and they've just overcome them. You know, Ray Charles, Beethoven was deaf. He wrote some of his best compositions when he was deaf. So, yeah, it's like, okay, what's your excuse? <laughs> Look at these people. So, yeah. uh, it's a great topic. It's a great show. It sounds like a great book. Uh, how can people get hold of you and or the book and get it in their hands?
1: Well, I would invite people to just go to Amazon or, or go to your local bookstore and just say, I need a copy of Post Traumatic Thriving. It's there. It's everywhere. We're going to do other editions with audio. Uh, you know, Be patient with us. We're getting there. But get the Kindle version for 99 cents or whatever it is. And uh-huh. you know, I've had people, I, I love the conversation. I had people email me and say, you know what? My husband and I have read this book three times, and every time we read it, our trauma becomes less and less because they were they were carrying some really big burdens that they shared with me um the stuff really works reach out to me at drbell.com. um easy to get a hold of email me um you know i love the conversation go to amazon get the book and most importantly let's teach our kids this stuff because they're going to have traumas and and if they have these principles in their minds um, they're gonna they're just gonna go through life more successfully than than if they have a trauma and they will and they 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 get hammered and and it takes them out we don't want that to happen
0: yeah uh, speaking of our kids what what's your opinion of the condition of our children today versus 10 20 30 years ago what what special things do they have to tolerate and what advice can you give parents to try to help their children avoid the the problems and the traumas that uh, they're
1: destined to face. I'm pretty bullish. I'm pretty optimistic about our kids. I think our kids get a lot of a lot of adults who are complaining about the problems with the kids. I, I see the world differently. Of course, some kids have problems. That's to be expected. But as a whole, I have a lot of faith in the in the uh, young generation. They're doing already with technology some amazing things and. Um, and they're more authentic. They're much more open about talking about things. And at least my kids and and a lot of kids I see are not as materialistic. A lot of my generation were pigs, you know, and I I fell into that materialism, workaholism thing as a way of of covering up my trauma. Uh, Now I just, I I don't care. I've had plenty of clients that are billionaires. I see how they live. I see the stress that, that it all causes. I'm not interested. So so I overall think kids are doing a better job, and I think things are getting better despite the the media cycles that you know are so pessimistic. I just don't buy it. I think I think kids are great, and I think uh, they deserve uh, a lot more credit than they're getting.
0: And how how's this last year of uh, COVID and uh, lack of uh, school uh, going to affect their development?
1: Well. I think it's been a setback. I mean, you know, no playgrounds, no playing tag, no running around with our friends, and the whole social thing. Uh, the, you know, we're social creatures. We gotta, you know, COVID is horrible. I had it. I, it was a horrible experience. I'm not trying to diminish that. But on the other hand, there's, it, I'm an economist too. There's, there's costs and there's benefits, and we gotta do a better job as society saying. Yeah, uh, it, COVID causes these costs, but the benefits of being together and socializing are really I- important. I think we're going to get through it. Uh, th- there's light at the end of the tunnel and you know, we will have learned a great lesson, I think as a society. I think we're now better at, you know, our uh, you know, virtual calling, but I think people are also anxious to get together in real life settings. And 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 there will be a nice blend. I think I think the post COVID world will, frankly, ultimately be better than what we had pre COVID. Ultimately.
0: Well, I I'm grateful for your optimism because it's hard to find that these days. <laughs> so, thank you again for coming on the show. We appreciate uh, you visiting us. And thank you for everybody you're tuning in. We'll see you next week. And bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you.
1: I thank you. Sometimes it feels.